Welcome in to This Week in Indiana Football, Episode 3, brought to you by Indiana Sports Radio with Jim Coyle, live Monday through Friday on YouTube, 9 to 11, also on WREF in Evansville and WBRO in Marengo, and potentially some new stations coming soon. Uh, stay tuned for all that kind of stuff. Uh, make sure you keep up with Indiana Sports Week for all that good stuff. And Dustin here with me from Dustin Shooty from Saturday Tradition once again. Dustin, it is officially week zero. It's the beginning of college football 2021. I know I'm fired. First of all, I want to say that I thought that I had gotten to the level of like Sinbad or something. I was going to go with the one name <laughs> introduction there. I thought maybe I'd been that famous, but not quite yet. Well, see, but yes, we. I'm going to let people in on what it's like, the, 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 what's going through the mind of a radio host sometimes, or a podcast, or whatever you want to call it, whenever they're going through the intro, and I, th- I feel like I don't just speak for myself doing this, but saying the intro liners and all that stuff, it's weird. I don't like doing it. It's, the, it's my least favorite part of doing a radio show, or a podcast, or anything like that. I'd rather just get right into the meat of things. Right, but you have to have that little... You have to have like the, a crescendo into your uh, into your show, so you have to do like a little bit of an introduction or, or something to get it going. But I mean, you know, if you just want to refer to me as one name. I'm sure everybody out there is going to know who I am at this point, right? <laughs> yeah, good Saturday bad tradition is uh, they've been doing all sorts of coverage so far for uh, in terms of preseason stuff. You've been releasing your, I guess it's, I think it's been daily. You've been doing your five bold predictions for each Big Ten team. Yeah, yeah, we uh, we're doing a series basically, and then you know, just kind of like Big Ten Network used to do in the lead up to the season, they used to dedicate a day of like classic games and and that's certain right. uh, documentaries and things to a certain team, and that's kind of what we've been doing on our site. We've been you know coming up with the um, the Crystal Ball series where we predict every team's schedule, best and worst okay. case scenarios, five biggest concerns, five um, uh, five bold predictions. I'm obviously not the one writing all of that stuff, yeah, um, but that uh added on to our news coverage and just you know everything else that pops up i mean we're going full steam ahead and like you said week zero we've got actual football stuff to talk about this week it's it's really exciting yeah and the the big 10 team that will actually kick off the entire football college football season they won't just be playing on week zero they will be the very first game is illinois nebraska yeah, yeah, and that's it's such a fun game because you have you know, I look at that game and I think even if that game was played in the middle of the season, I think it might have some serious implications because I do think Illinois is going to be a lot better than they were a season ago. Nebraska obviously with a lot going on there, Scott Frost I think needs to make a bowl game this year. But the fact that it's week 0 that it's the only Power 5 Power 5 matchup it's the Big Ten season opener. All eyes are going to be on that game. It's part of the Fox Big Noon kickoff. Mm-hmm. And then again, you you pour onto it those implications that we have, and it's just it, it, what a way to kick off the season. It could not. It could be better if we if we were able to play that game in Ireland. That would make it better. Uh, <laughs> but unfortunately, we're still dealing with the pandemic, so we can't do that. But uh, so you know, we'll we'll take it. It's going to be a fun time in Champaign. You're right, it will, and we will dive into that game in a little bit, but before we, we get into the meat of what's going on in this show, I wanted to start off with a little fun. Indiana Football has been doing these fun little, I guess, little video series on their Twitter account, mm-hmm. and I wanted to test your knowledge on, and you may, do you, are you familiar with any of Indiana Football's coaching staff, any of the, any of the coaches, or their names? I mean, chance? I... I yeah I I know some I don't know all of them. I, and if, I yeah, and if you don't, it's, it's not that big impossible. of a deal. It'll still be fun. Uh, but I'm gonna play you three different impressions that the players made of some of the coaches, and I want you to try to figure oh, out who boy. they are who they are making fun of or, not, or or trying to act like. Okay. And so here here's the first one. Yeah, A B C one two three. It's not that hard. My son is in third grade. <laughs> And he can block it up better than you guys. Like, what the heck? So just based off of that initial, I don't know if you want to call it an accent, or uh, yeah, his, his My- physical properties, what he was trying to act like, who do you think that might have been? Uh, my guess would be Kevin Peoples. N- you're, not, you're not correct. That's, that was uh, Darren Hiller, <laughs> offensive line coach. 
Oh, see, I was going with offensive or defensive line coach there. I, I so you were in the sure. right ballpark. I, I was in the right. Yeah, I was. I was assuming offensive or defensive line coach on that one. All right, we'll go. We'll go ahead and go move on to our second one. Dalloway on the down. Dalloway on the down. Yep, yep, yep. LBs, LBs. Now, so that did kind of give away. He did say what position he was. He, he he referred to himself as the as or referred to his group as the LBs. Uh, so I don't uh, yep, you know who yep. the LBs coach is. Do you? Uh, I'm. You're gonna say it. and I'm gonna know it. I can't think of it off the top of my head. Spur of the moment. And so the LBs coach uh, is also a defensive coordinator, Charlton Warren. Dang it. Yep, that would have been my guess on that one, but. Okay. And then one last one. I, f- I find this one interesting. I don't know if I would have expected this person to sound the way that they did, but I think the the player that did the impression did a decent job. Dude, like you're freaking God. I'm just telling you now. I only need six guys on the bus. Look at the last coach. The seven guy, he better be valuable to the, to the special team. I'm telling you right now. So it's got to be the special teams coach, right? No, 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 no. So he, I didn't even think about that. So he was referring to the special teams, but he was doing an impression of Grant Hurd, the wide receivers coach. Okay. And I'm okay. guessing when he was talking about the special teams, he's saying, if you're not good enough to be one of the wide receivers, you better be good enough to be on the special teams because you won't be on the Oh, I got you. I got you. So that's that. I, I think that would have been more fun had you known, obviously – you don't you don't take sides. You cover the entire Big Ten, so it's not your job to know every right. little coach on on each of the on each of the teams. So, but I enjoyed watching that yeah. on Twitter. Uh, I think they've done a few more videos like that. But let's go ahead and get into the the meat of what's going on. I would say the biggest news, other than the fact that it's Week Zero and we have Illinois Nebraska, is big the Big Ten finally the they're the last Power Five conference to announce their COVID protocol. Yeah, and I would have liked to have seen the Big Ten. Um, I don't know if I want to say be first because they were always such a leader on these sort of issues and these topics when Jim Delaney was running the conference. Uh, And so I would have liked to have seen a little bit more cohesiveness, a little bit more organization, communication from the league office, considering all that went wrong last year. I mean, this was probably – a really easy decision to make because I don't know what other route you're going to take in this circumstance. I mean, every other, every other league has taken the same approach in that if, if one team can't play because of COVID-19 issues or concerns or whatever the case might be, it's a forfeit. There's not going to be a rescheduling. If it's both teams have issues, it's going to be declared a no contest, no rescheduling. To me, that's a simple answer. It's a simple solution. Um, And if you need to put caveats in there to protect like, like last season, when they changed the rules at the last second, you, you've had what since last January, so you've had seven, eight months to work on this and come up with specific scenarios where something may not work out or you may need to alter the rules a little bit. That's one thing I don't I, understand. I, mean, I, don't, I don't get why it took the Big Ten so long to, to come up with something that all the other conferences have already come up with. They decided to wait till the last minute. They actually have teams playing this week in Week Zero, unlike the other Power Five conferences. So why yep. did the Big Ten? And obviously, we know why. Kevin Warren hasn't shown that he's been a very competent AD in his in his short tenure as a Big Ten commissioner. Right? Or not AD commissioner. Right. Commissioner. Um, right. So I just I just don't understand. There, there's no initiative. I think a lot of a lot of what's going on is that Barry Alvarez is doing a lot more decision-making, or you would think he might be yeah. uh, as being groomed by Kevin Warren. I don't know how responsible that would be, but you would think that Barry Alvarez will be is doing a lot of advising as Kevin Warren announced during Big Ten Media Days. I would, I would assume so, because I don't know what else Barry Alvarez is going to do in that role. I mean, the other thing is, it, it, I feel like, based on what we saw last year, and again, I don't know a lot of these presidents, I don't I hate to bash people I don't know, but I feel like there's a, a consensus among the 14 presidents and chancellors and the commissioner that they think they might be smarter than a lot of people. <laughs> and in a, in so far as to say that I think that they are over, they just overthought it. They tried to they tried to overthink this situation, 
And again, if you would have started this process back in January, you could have had something as soon as summer hit and said, you know what, here's going to be our policies. Here are the caveats to that in case we need to change any rules and whatever the case might be. But we, we got down to the single digits. We were, we are five days away from kickoff Mm -hmm. um, at the time that that was released. So I don't understand. I know a lot of the conferences did take their time, but for the Big Ten to be the last major conference, I think they're the last major conference, I'd have to double-check that, to release that sort of um, the, the forfeiture policy and the cancellation policy, uh, that's just not what the Big Ten used to be. Like I said, under Jim Delaney, they were they were the leader in these types of things, and that just hasn't been the case as we've seen the last year and a half. And I really hope that we don't get put under a circumstance this coming season where Ohio State has to be given, or not even Ohio State, that a certain team has to be given favor because right. because they miss so many games or whatever it may be. We don't need any more of that. And I don't, I, don't, I don't know if the Big Ten has learned from that mistake. Hopefully we don't have to figure out if they're going to do something like that this coming season. Uh, it's just It was just a huge mess last year, and I think it's, it's, all, it's just worth it to hope that there's not going to be anything like that in the future. Well, you better keep your fingers and toes crossed because the, I've said it multiple times. I have zero confidence that we're going to get through the Big Ten football season smoothly without some sort of hiccup along the way. Yeah, I mean, I, I do highly doubt that every team will finish all twelve games. Obviously, you can hope that that will be the case. Uh, we're not. I'm not really sure what the vaccination status statuses of all the teams are, um, but we'll. I'm, I'm pretty sure Indiana is above ninety percent, so that's pretty solid. Um, and. and- Scott Frost didn't reveal, I don't think he revealed on Monday at his press conference, but Brett Bielema said that there's only three players on the Illinois team uh, that don't have both shots. I don't know if he indicated that they have the first one and they're just waiting to get the second or what the case is, Um, but it sounds like uh, Illinois at least is in really good shape. I don't know, at the time we're recording this, I don't know what the status is of Nebraska. Well, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. I saw you tweet earlier today. I didn't happen to see uh, Scott Frost's press conference, but you said you sent out a, a brief summary of, of yep. what Scott Frost's press conference was, and it was a short five-second clip of Bob Knight screaming at his players. Not It wasn't the video of him, but it had different photos and stuff like that, and you could hear the audio in the right. background. It was that it was that famous video which, video, which is appropriately you know geared towards the Indiana fan base in this scenario where Bob Knight is like, I'm not here to bleep around this week. Now, maybe you are. Uh, The reason I tweeted that out is because Scott Frost was at the podium today for five and a half, six minutes. And he gave very brief answers. He was very, I mean, very just very deliberate, very direct in his responses. Didn't seem like he wanted to be there. Um, And and look, there's nothing wrong with that. There's a lot of pressure on this guy. Just real quick, do you think any of that, obviously he – regardless of the Illinois game, do you think most of that yeah. reaction, the way that he was, is because of what happened last week in the news that was all being spread around about the NCAA investigation for his team? That's probably fair. Um, and I don't know that he doesn't – I mean, he doesn't want to talk about it. And he can't probably talk about it because it's an ongoing investigation. But I think more than anything – he probably just doesn't want it to become a distraction. I mean, you're so close. He doesn't want the players to be thinking about it. He doesn't want his staff to be thinking about it. I think his sole focus is Illinois. I mean, he knows how important it is to win this game. So I have no problem um, with with Scott Frost being brief and direct and everything else that he was um, during his press conference on Monday. I mean, his job's to win. His job is to get players ready to go. That seems to be his primary focus, even given everything that's gone on the past week or two in Lincoln. And, and you know, I just thought I would add a little humor to that because it, <laughs> it, that's what it reminds Based on what it was, it was, you know, uh, you saw the tweets coming out from some of the Nebraska reporters uh, that were at the press conference. And it was like Pre- Scott Frost is, is excited to see his team play. Um, there have been 12 black shirts handed out. He doesn't he didn't provide any vaccination information. So it just seemed like. He gave, you know, a couple sentences per answer, and that that was about it. And, uh, you know, like I said, it it just reminded me of that locker room speech um, (laughs) where I, you know, I'm not here to mess around this week. Now, you may be, but I'm not. And that's just, I think that's Scott Frost's mindset. I think that's everybody in Nebraska's mindset right now. 
Now, Dustin, I know you interact with a lot of Nebraska fans on Twitter, and it's rightfully so. Nebraska's probably, the, I would say, the second largest Big Ten fan base behind Ohio State. Would you say there is more angst or anticipation from the Nebraska Cornhusker fan base going into this game against Illinois uh, compared to previous seasons, I guess? Yes. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, that's that's how I answer that. I would say this. Um, the Nebraska fan base, they are very passionate. They are very supportive. Um, they know how important this game is against Illinois because I've said it multiple times. If they don't beat Illinois, it's very difficult for me to see them get to six wins and get to bowl eligibility when you look at who's still left on that schedule. And Illinois should probably be a team considered in the lower half of the Big Ten West. So if you can't beat them, um, who else are you going to beat? Because you still have Iowa, Wisconsin, Ohio State, Michigan, Oklahoma, Buffalo, uh, you know Purdue, uh, Minnesota. Lots of tough teams left on that schedule if you're in Nebraska. But the other part of this, too, is there's a lot of excitement um, to get back on the field. I mean, Nebraska fans love football. They love college football. And even if Illinois – or even if Nebraska loses that week one, week zero game, if I can talk today – <laughs> Even if they lose that week zero game to Illinois, there's still a lot of belief that, you know, at, at some point in the season they can figure things out. They can turn it around. They got Fordham and they got Buffalo before they play Oklahoma. So even if you go two and two, you have an opportunity to beat teams like Michigan State or Purdue. There's just a, there's a lot of belief that at any point in the season the Huskers can figure it out. I mean, it's a lot of fan bases with a program like Nebraska – Michigan's a great example. You lose one or two games and they throw in the towel, right? Like we see that all the time Mm -hmm. Um, because you're not competing for a national championship. I mean, Nebraska, a few years ago, Scott Frost's first year, they stayed in the snow when the team was like, what, two and seven or two and eight or whatever it was. Don't they have uh, a record, an ongoing record, and this disincludes COVID for the most sellout games in a row? Yeah, yeah. I think I I wouldn't be able. To, it's over fifty years. I can't it's tell you. It's crazy what the exact how they're years. able to maintain that even through through this. Even Indiana basketball doesn't do that during their even like during the Archie Miller. Not every basketball game was sold out. But that, but that's what I'm telling you is it's it's such a passion. They have so much love for the Huskers. Uh, win, lose, tie, look great look abysmal mm-hmm. they support them they they're a very passionate fan base now some of them can get a little testy with you so you you got to be careful but for the most part they're very supportive um and that's why i say they're for the most part they understand uh, i think a lot of reasonable husker fans understand illinois is going to be a much better football team than they were a season ago and remember illinois beat the hell out of them a year ago so there's an understanding of just how important this game is. It's not going to be a cakewalk. Nebraska very may, very well may win that game and start the year 1-0, beat Fordham, beat Buffalo, and then they're 3-0 and heading into that Oklahoma game. But they're just excited to see football back, a full season, full stadium. They're just excited about the, the aspects of college football and everything that makes Nebraska special. You just no. wait to see Memorial Stadium. That's going to be painted. That's that, There's a lot of – passionate Illini fans out there, but there's going to be a lot of red in Champaign on Saturday. No, I believe it. And before we dive more into the the Nebraska-Illinois game happening this weekend, you released your very own Big Ten Week Zero Power Rankings that caused quite the uproar on Twitter earlier today. Let's just go, I'm going to go ahead and read those and then we'll maybe discuss uh, what would cause some of the issues. I'll go from 14 to 1. We got Michigan State, Maryland, Purdue, Rutgers, Nebraska, followed by Illinois, Michigan, Northwestern, Minnesota, Iowa, followed by Indiana, Penn State, Wisconsin, and Ohio State. Surprise, surprise. So I would say the two takeaways I get from it, at least in terms of the discussion we're having right now, and what's relevant to this to this show, uh, you have Illinois one spot above Nebraska. Now... You yep. don't have to give away this answer, but does this does this mean that you think Illinois is going to win? Do you, do you think this will be uh, – what, what are you expecting, I guess? It doesn't have to be for, for the game specifically, but in the overall – the grand scheme of the Big Ten season, do you see Illinois have, being more successful, I guess, than Nebraska, or is this solely based on the game? 
Well, right now, I I would consider Illinois and Nebraska to be incredibly even. When you look at the amount of talent that's returning back, they both have starters that are solid starters, but maybe haven't taken that next step to be, I don't even want to say elite, but, but just consistent. Neither guy has been extremely consistent in their careers. They both have some, some concerns at the wide receiver position. Um, I would say Nebraska's in a little bit better shape. Illinois' offensive line is probably better. Like, when I look at these two teams, I look at them very evenly. And I know we're going to talk about the prediction of this game a little later. So I'll save my prediction okay. for who's going to win, who I think is going to win. But basically, I see these two teams as even. Both teams are returning a lot of, of seniors, super seniors, a lot of experienced players. This is the most veteran team Illinois has had in a long time. This is the most veteran team Scott Frost has had at Nebraska. So I think that plays a factor. And then I look again at last season, and it wasn't like Illinois won on a last-second field goal. I mean, they went into Lincoln and clobbered Nebraska. And so I give Illinois a a head up because I also think – I think that there's a – I go back to this Purdue in 2017 when Jeff Brom took over – when he took over at Purdue in 2017, that team had a ton of experience, but they hadn't won a lot of games. They were at the bottom of the Big Ten for a lot of years. He comes in, they take Illinois, or not Illinois, they take Louisville and Lamar Jackson, the Heisman Trophy winner, down to the wire in his first game. They go on to win. They go on to finish seven and six that season. Got to a bowl game, beat Arizona in Foster Farms Bowl. Look at what happened with Greg Schiano last season. He inherits a. a Rutgers team that had a lot of guys that had a lot of playing experience and they weren't great, but they went from a team that hadn't won a big 10 game. They lost 21 straight big 10 games and they transition and they go three and six. And by the way, three of those losses were by one possession. So they could have, there was a real possibility. Rutgers was five and four, six and three a season ago. They should have at least been four and five. They should have beat Michigan. I see that similar sort of thing with Brett Bielema. I think he's the kind of guy that knows the talent he's got on the roster. When you pair that with the experience and playing to people's strengths, I think that Illinois is a dangerous team. Now, I don't think that that means that they're going to be an 8 or 9 or 10 win team immediately, but are they going to beat the teams that that they should in the non-conference? I think so. Can they beat teams that are what you would consider even with them? You know, the teams like Nebraska, teams like Purdue. I think that's fair to say. Now, and I so for that reason, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Finish up. Well, I was just going to say, and for that reason, I think that Illinois is going to be a lot better um, than they were at any point during the Lovey Smith era. So with with Brett Bielema, and I, I don't know that he'll be able to have the same kind of success that he had at Wisconsin with Illinois, no. but I firmly believe that he thinks he can have that kind of success at Illinois. Yes. And he's going to come into this, this Nebraska game thinking that he can win that. And that's that may sound like a really stupid and obvious statement. But a lot of people outside of the Illinois program probably think that Illinois should be a bottom feeder team in year one. That's probably not going to be the case with Brett Bielema being head coach. No, I don't think so. I don't. I really don't think so. I could be completely wrong on this, but again, sometimes those first-year coaches, when you when you inherit a team that's so experienced, all it takes sometimes is a brand new voice. With Jeff Brom, that was the case. With Greg Schiano, that was the case. I really do think that's going to be the case with Bielema. The other thing that, that's interesting to me about this game one is Nebraska has no film on Illinois. <laughs> Brett Bielema hasn't coached college football in three seasons. There's, there's not much to look at. You can go back and look at some of the Wisconsin tape. You can look at some of the Arkansas tape if you want to kind of get his style down and, and what he likes to do. But the bottom line is, is Illinois is going to be, I'm not going to say really good. They're going to be solid on the offensive and defensive lines, better than they have been in the past. But you don't have any tape to look at. That That is a factor. That That is a thing. And I think people are not understanding that aspect of it because when you throw something new at a team again in week zero that they're not expecting that that does play a factor in it another interesting little tidbit about this or about the nebraska cornhuskers in particular the huskers have not won a road season opener since 1999 and that was against iowa they won 42 to 7 so history is not really on nebraska's side and obviously, this is an interesting circumstance. You don't always start off playing a conference game, much less a conference game on the road. And you take another step further, this game was supposed to be played overseas, which I feel like right. would have benefited Nebraska more so than Illinois. Um, 
And yeah, I guess after, let's go ahead and put that to the side. Let's go ahead and dive into more of this Illinois-Nebraska game uh, or some of the players. Adrian Martinez back for his 18th season with the Cornhuskers. Much like uh, <laughs> several quarterbacks in the Big Ten. Uh, would Adrian Martinez have graduated had it not been for COVID last year? No, he's still a, he's still okay. a senior. He'll still have, um, well, this year, and then if he wants to play another season, he'll still have another season left. Really? He he could play another season? My goodness. I believe so. Now, he, his first year was 2018. It, and it makes sense because he, he started as a freshman, correct? Mm, yes, correct. And so, anyway, back to what I was saying. Uh, Adrian Martinez, he's he's playing in his umpteenth season, but he's, he, he doesn't have Wandale Robinson anymore. He has a transfer in Samore Toure, which is interesting because he comes from the FCS level in Montana. But he's going to be expected to fill the shoes of Wandale Robinson, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Well, they need yes. I mean, you're not wrong. They they need guys to step up, and he's going to be a guy that they need that they're going to lean on heavily. He and Omar Manning and Oliver Martin, Xavier Betts, Alante Brown. One of those guys has got to step up in a big way. I think um, Samurai Torre is a guy who can fill that role, but. It is a it is a leap to go from FCS to the FBS, and especially in the Big Ten. That's mm. not to say it's impossible, but there is going to be a little bit of a learning curve. So I think it's it it is going to be difficult putting a lot of pressure on a player like him to step up and, and be that key contributor immediately because you know, Wandale Robinson didn't put up huge numbers, but he was a great weapon. He was a great gadget that Nebraska had in its offense for a couple seasons. And not only that, but Nebraska is going to be going up against a pretty veteran Illinois defense. It wasn't a great defense, but you got guys like Tony Adams, you have Isaiah Gay and Tariq Barnes. Those are guys, probably some of their. I think they're all three seniors. They're going to be on their, uh, mm-hmm. on their starting eleven in the in the defensive part. Um, so, what what do you think? What do you do? You see Adrian Martinez having trouble, or do you think it's going to be more? Uh, you think he'll find more success? I guess. Yeah, that's a great – I think that's what this boils down to, in my opinion. I think Nebraska's offensive line is going to win the battle against Illinois' defensive line because I, I, I think that they looked really good. Now, it's only a spring game, and so you can only take so much away from it. But they were doing thud in the first half of that spring game, and their running backs were getting four yards down the field before they even got touched. Uh, so that's a good sign. I do think that they'll be able to move it. Um, but Illinois has some really good linebackers. Uh, Owen Carney Jr. is coming back. Jake Hansen's coming back. As you mentioned, some of the guys in the secondary are really good and experienced. Um, the question to me is, can Adrian Martinez complete passes down the middle of the field? Can he find his receivers? Part of that's going to be on the offensive line. Part mm-hmm. of that's going to be on Adrian Martinez being accurate. And part of that's going to be on the receivers getting open. I mean, I don't think this all – I think Adrian Martinez has kind of been unfairly judged um, throughout the – course of his career a lot of times he hasn't had the talent around him a lot of times he's had to tuck it and run now he does have to be more disciplined if he doesn't see his options he can't it's kind of like the Michael Penix situation at Indiana you can't just tuck it and run mm-hmm. he's got options in the backfield this time they they don't need him to use his legs to be the leading rusher this year they have plenty of guys in the backfield um so it, it all comes down to accuracy. He'll be protected. I think the talent is there for the receivers to create some separation on those defensive backs. My question is, can he be accurate? Does he have the chemistry with those guys? Scott Frost has talked about this is the best wide receiver room he's had in his four years now at Nebraska. So if that's the case, then then there's really no excuse for Adrian Martinez not to be finding those guys in in the short game, medium passing game, and the deep and, and connecting on the deep ball every once in a while. Yeah, I agree. And then uh, on to the Illinois side of things, you got Brandon Peters, who I believe this is also going to be his last year. He's had an up and down mm-hmm. career. He came from Michigan, so he's he's kind of been having to relearn himself. And I feel like. He he never really panned out to what he was supposed to be, and obviously when you when you leave Michigan, he was very highly touted. I think he was the the top. Uh, I think he was Indiana's Mister Football when he was recruited out of high school. He ended up not working out for the Wolverines. He's done decent with Illinois, uh, but he hasn't really had a, a stellar career overall. He's just been decent. And then on the other end of things, the running game, they have a decent running game with Mike Epstein and Chase Brown. Uh, Chase Brown mm-hmm. being a younger guy, though, I think it's going to be important for Illinois to have a decent running game because Brandon Peters is going to be able to do everything. And if they can develop right. Chase Brown to be a little more 
than just a standard back, I think that could also help them against Nebraska. Yeah, I really like it. We talked about uh, I think Nebraska's offensive line is going to win the battle against Illinois' defensive line. I think that's going to be the case for Illinois' offense, too. I think that offensive line, when you look at Vidarian Lowe coming back, Alex Palchuski, Doug Kramer, if those guys can stay healthy up front, I really like Illinois' offensive line and the way they can push guys around. I think Chase Brown is really explosive, and, and if Mike Epstein can stay healthy and, and Reggie Love thir- – uh, Reggie Love the third is a guy who hasn't gotten a ton of touches, but he's flashed some potential too. The biggest question for Illinois is those are those wide receivers. And I think that if you establish a strong running game and you're able to balance that out, that, that'll make life easier for Brandon Peters and for the wide receivers. They've got two really good tight ends in Luke Ford and Daniel Barker, so I expect they're going to utilize those two guys in the passing attack, and maybe that opens some things up down the field. But I think you're right. You They have to be able to run the football. And knowing what we know about Brett Bielema and the way he ran the ball at Wisconsin, obviously you get really good backs when you're the head coach at Wisconsin, but he's going to put an emphasis on running the football and and opening things up and and dialing up play action at just the right time um, to be able to, to, to get some points on the board. Like I, we we associate ground and pound with with Wisconsin or with uh, with Brett Bielema. Boy, I can't talk today. You can cut me off at any time. But we <laughs> associate that ground and pound. Um, but that's that's true to an extent. But I think he will utilize Brandon Peters' arm because he's been injured. He's not, he's probably not going to be an NFL guy at least long term. But he does have an NFL arm. He can launch the ball down the field. Uh, so if that opens up for him, I, I could see Illinois, you know, beating the defense, the Nebraska defense on a few plays throughout the game. One thing I was thinking about just now, I'm not sure if this game, if I see it as more of a defensive battle or, or something that would turn out to be a shootout. I don't think it would be a shootout, uh, but I don't necessarily think it would be like a Wisconsin type of football game where someone's only scoring 14 points and you can still win. Do you think that this is going to be something where – the amount of points on the board is going to is going to pan out to be related to how well both quarterbacks do if Adrian Martinez is is really clicking with his receivers or if he's throwing a few interceptions and then vice versa for Illinois I think both teams really want to run the football uh I don't think this is going to be a pass heavy game I okay. think this is I think so I see this being a meticulous game like I think you're going to see a lot of like 10, 11 play drives for, you know, five, six minutes. Like, I think you're going to see that a lot in this game uh, because I think the offenses are just more, I think there's more experience on the offense. Well, in Nebraska's case, I guess that's on the defensive side, but I, I just think that the offenses have the advantage on the defense on both sides of the ball in this. I could be completely wrong, but um, I, I just see this as a very meticulous game where you see these possessions are very valuable. Like, I, I see this being like a 21-24 or 24-27 type of game. Like, I, I don't think it gets into the, the shootout range. But I also, as you mentioned, I don't think it's going to be like a 14-10 to 10 game either. I think both teams are going to take their chances. I think we're going to see some big plays. But I think for the most part, this is going to be a ground and pound and, mm-hmm. and try to win the game on the, uh, the line of scrimmage. Yeah, classic Big Ten football. And, uh, man, I, ha- I just lost my train of thought. I was going to ask... Oh, yeah, and I think we briefly mentioned this earlier about how important this game is for Nebraska specifically in terms of getting to bowl mm-hmm. eligibility. Now, do you see it? I know it's probably not as important for Illinois. It's Brett Bielema's first game. There's not going to be immense expectations, but I do think there are certain uh, sects of the um, of the Illinois fan base that wouldn't be surprised if Illinois can pull off this victory, even in his first year. But do you think if Illinois wants to find themselves bowl eligible, that this is a must-win game? Oh, yeah. I, I feel like I'm asking you way say, too many tough questions today. No. <laughs> no well, yeah, but it, but it, but this is it is pertinent. I mean, it is because you're looking at who else you have to play. If you don't beat Nebraska, they've got Virginia. I, I don't. Rem- uh, I don't know Illinois. Up, I can pull up Illinois' schedule real quick. Let's see what we got. But but you look at in the Big Ten West. That means you're probably having to beat Purdue and Northwestern, and I don't know that you're going to be able to beat Wisconsin or Iowa. And so maybe then you label Minnesota as a toss-up game. I know they play Virginia in the non-conference. Let's just go ahead and say, um, let's I, say they beat Nebraska theoretically. They have UTSA the following, let's say they win that, 2-0. and I'm going to go with at Virginia as a loss versus Maryland at home. I'll give that to Maryland 2-2. Two and two. 
at Purdue. I'm going to say loss two and three. Charlotte three and three. And then you got a big stretch with Wisconsin, Penn State. Rutgers is a winnable game. Minnesota on the road's probably not winnable if Minnesota's uh, if they are able to bounce back from last year. Iowa on the road they shouldn't win. It, it'll be close. It's going to be a grind for Illinois to get six wins. So based on that schedule, beat Nebraska. I don't. I don't know if they get to bowl eligibility. I think they have. They do have a beneficial crossover schedule. Playing. You said they played both Maryland and Rutgers. Um, well, look at that. I mean, how, you couldn't I mean, ask for anything beneficial. better for for week for so, year one. So right there, you you pair those with the two uh, with UTSA and Charlotte. Right there is four winnable. I would put those as probably the four most winnable games. Then you've got. As we mentioned, you got Purdue, Northwestern, Nebraska. It's I mean, not impossible. There's a small – let's just say there's a small margin for error. Yeah. Let's go to the Nebraska side of things. And I know this isn't an Illinois-Nebraska show, but we can't sit here and just talk about Indiana the entire time, especially when they're not playing this week. We've kind of already right. covered – there's not anything new out about the Hoosiers – uh, that's why we did that fun little thing at the beginning. But um, next week we will do a, a more of a deep dive into Indiana, Iowa, and from there on out we'll have uh, we'll have Indiana previews and recaps um, on on every uh, succeeding episode. So this is kind of awkwardly placed. This is the only game. This is the beginning of college football season. The only yep. Big Ten uh, uh, game we have this week: Nebraska, Illinois. But let me uh, let me pull up that Nebraska schedule because I know you said it's probably going to be a grind for them as well to get a six win. So obviously let's just theoretically say they win the Illinois game. So that'd be one. No, they have yep. Fordham, which I believe is an FCS team. We'll say that's two and zero. Right. Buffalo was a good team last year. It is at home. Coaching change. They had, yeah. Lance Leopold's at Kansas now. And I don't know if they still have that running back. That was really good. I don't remember his name, but do you know who I'm referring to? Uh, yeah, I do, but I, I can't remember either. Yeah. So I don't know if he's there. Uh, we'll just say that's also a win. Nebraska could start off three and zero, which sets up an interesting matchup with uh, with Oklahoma, uh, the rival from the Big Twelve. We'll I think that that could be the most. I was just going to say I think that could be really fascinating. I don't think there's a scenario where I can say Nebraska wins that game, mm-hmm. but they go three and zero. They got some confidence heading into that game. Maybe they play a little bit better than they than they expect, and even if you lose that. I, Everybody wants to win, but if you play that game really well and you lose close, watch out. I mean, that that could set the groundwork for Nebraska being a lot better than than anybody expects. And then following that, obviously, let's just say the Oklahoma game is a loss, three and one. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> they go on the road to Michigan You're State, which is up. The, the Michigan State game on the road is very winnable with Mel Tucker still trying to get a foothold with the Spartans. They could be 4-1. and one. I don't know that they will be, but they could be. Then you have Northwestern at home. I, I would say they have a very favorable schedule if they're able to build momentum and win this first game against right. Illinois. A lot of it leans on how well they do against this against the Fighting Illini. I don't know that they will be derailed if they lose, but if they do get blown out by Illinois, that doesn't set a good uh, example going into the rest of the season. Correct. That exactly because you look at that and we're talking about let's say even if they beat Northwestern because Northwestern is going to see some turnover there so that puts you at five and one now here's here's where it gets tricky look at the back half of that mm, schedule yes right Michigan at Minnesota Purdue Ohio State at Wisconsin Iowa you have zero cupcakes on in your final six games it, and and probably the most winnable game right there is Purdue. So even if they're five and one, they got to win one of those games, and there are no gimmies. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, you count Purdue as a win, and you're still looking. I mean, yeah, you get your sixth victory, but you could still be. It's possible that it's possible that Nebraska starts out zero and one, and still and gets an upset somewhere down the road, and finishes six and six. It's also possible that Nebraska starts off five and one, and doesn't get to a bowl game. I mean, if we're going to paint all these scenarios out, the one thing that I've been knocking the Huskers for and Scott Frost for over the last couple seasons is I just—I'm not saying they haven't gotten better. I just haven't seen any consistency. Typically, 
you see Nebraska, they'll play really well in one week, and then the next week it's like they they just picked up a football for the first time. <laughs> and I just want to see them have some consistency week to week. That's not saying they can't have a bad week. Everybody, I mean, everybody except Ohio State has a bad week. But Ohio State can have a bad some... week and still win, though. That's the thing. Like they had and, a bad and, week and when by... Indiana lost by seven last year. They did not Correct. play very well. Correct. And so I I just want to see some sort of consistency where this is if Nebraska is going to be good that's the that's the team we need to see ten of those twelve weeks. Now, do you think six and six is enough for Scott Frost to keep his job? I think so because it shows that you've you've gotten with that schedule. I think if you get to six wins, you're going to have to have beaten somebody good. Mm-hmm. That's um, true. in, in in my mind, you're going to have to beat a Purdue, a Northwestern, um, if you, a Minnesota, an Iowa. You're going to have to beat somebody that's pretty decent. You get to a bowl game, and then you win that bowl game, and you're seven and six. That generates a lot of momentum heading into next season. So I think that if he does get to bowl eligibility, it shows signs of progress. The recruiting's still doing fine. And I think that you're going to start to see things come together a little bit more and, and give Scott Frost a little bit more time. Now, the thing is, is it can't be a one hit wonder. If you go seven, even if you go seven and six, you got your job for next season, but you better get back to a bowl game. You better find a way to get to eight or nine wins the next year and continue to show that you're getting better. You can't win set, You can't go seven and six and then go back down to four and eight or five and seven because that ain't going to cut it. Now, on the other side of things, I feel like I've said that quite a bit during this uh, this podcast, but on the other end of the spectrum, we just keep jumping success, back and forth on the sides of the fence, and not not and not not referring to Illinois in this one specifically, but if Illinois or if Nebraska is not successful, and I mean early, like let's just say they win two of five, maybe even less than that. Do you think? Do you think Nebraska's new AD and I can't think of his name right now? Do you Trent think Alberts. that? Do you think that he would consider? a mid-season fire for uh, for Scott Frost. I wouldn't rule it out. And the reason is is because if you're going to make a coaching change, you better do it early because you want to have the best possible candidate that you can get. Now, a few years ago, it was a unique situation because Scott Frost was the hottest coach on the market when they decided to fire Mike Riley. And they waited till after the season to do that. I mean, they pretty much, it sounds to me like they knew that he was going to take that job for a while. Um, so you don't necessarily have to do it, but it's probably better to get the ball rolling on that earlier rather than later so you don't have to compete with some of these other programs if you do have to make a change. The interesting thing to me, and I can't remember if we talked about this on the podcast or not, based on what we saw in the last few weeks with the release of the NCAA investigations and, you know, the, the, the hosting, the, the workouts off campus at an undisclosed location and the too many analysts or assistant coaches on the field or whatever. The NCAA investigations take usually quite a bit of time. So you're probably not going to get a fast answer on anything that happens. I don't know whether or not then, if let's say in your scenario, Nebraska's two and four, two and five, do they not have to pay his buyout because there's you are terminated with cause? You know that's interesting because it's almost like I don't know what the cause would be. Obviously, you could go back to the investigation allegations, even if they're they're not complete yet. But I feel like the true reason for firing him would be because of what's going on during the season. Correct, so, but, but you there's can still always, use you, that other it, stuff as leverage, is what you're saying. If, if the school, if the school is going to save twenty million dollars by throwing him under the bus, they're yeah. going to do it, uh, and and that's just the cutthroat. That's just how it is in this business. That's just the way it. I'm not saying it's right or wrong or whatever, but that's. I'm just saying that it's very interesting to me that that could potentially be a factor. Do you think they've um, had that meeting? And honestly. This is probably a really dumb question, but it's interesting to think about. But do you think that anyone that would be considered Scott Frost's boss, I guess Trev Alberts and whoever else might be above him, do you think anybody has had that conversation with him like, if you don't succeed, you're gone early? Like referring to the stuff that they're trying to keep under wraps with the investigations, if they're hiding that for him. Do you think they have conversations like that? 
Oh boy. <laughs> this and is probably can, the toughest. We can make question. and we can make this the last thing about Nebraska because we can move on. We need to got a few more things before we wrap it up. I, yeah, I don't I really don't the thing is, is a lot of this is dictated by, you know, board of directors and that sort of thing. And I'm not saying that Trev Alberts would be sitting there or whoever it is sitting there saying, you know what, you have to start four and one or else you're in deep trouble. But Which, honestly, it sounds say, so elementary to think of something like that. But the state of the program right now, it almost right. doesn't seem as far fetched as it would be. But. Yes, and and but to think that nobody said to him, we have to have a good. Se-. I mean, go back to what Bill Moose said. Uh, there's no reason we can't protect home field, and there's no reason we shouldn't be in that eight to nine win range. So there's been some conversation with him, like we need to have a strong year. Now, I don't think again, I don't think it has to be eight or nine wins, but I, I'm sure that message has gotten across to him. I don't. I'm doubting they said if you start two and four, you're going to be fired. Um, I mean, he's not dumb. He, he probably understands. He that knows if, that if, if he doesn't get to a bowl game, that he's gone at the at the bare if, minimum. If he loses, if there's certain if there's certain games on that schedule that he loses, he probably understands that his his tenure in that city is about to be over. Uh, but it's an interesting question. I mean, I I don't know how that how that stuff works, but I I would guess that somebody said, you know what. We really need to get to a bowl game this season and, you know, kind of that nudge, nudge, wink, wink type of thing. Hey, it, it all comes full circle back to how we started this uh, with, with his uh, his press conference today. He ain't messing around. Yes, he's not. Exactly. That He knows how serious this season is for him, I think. All right, so we'll go ahead and close the door on, on Nebraska and, and get back to some Indiana stuff as we get ready to wrap things up. I'm taking another look, Dustin, at your... Five bold predictions for Indiana in 2021. And I know we talked about this on Indiana Sports Beat last week. I don't know that we hit all five of them, but let's revisit a few. And uh, maybe I'll agree with you or disagree on some of these. Your first one you put was Indiana establishes a legitimate rushing attack. And I think that not solely hinges on Stephen Carr's success, but either him or Tim Baldwin Jr. has to break out and have a decent season for, for that to be a true statement. And I think that can be the case. I mean, Tom Allen has raved about Stephen Carr. Um, the I'll have a lot of faith in Delon McCullough to, to develop the running backs he's got there. I like the depth with Tim Baldwin, and it doesn't sound like the injury to David Ellis is going to be long-term, so that's good. Uh, I like the depth they have. It sounds like the offensive line is playing really well right now in, in practice and through scrimmages, so I like that aspect of it. And <clears throat> they have not – I don't think they've ranked higher than ninth in the Big Ten under Tom Allen in terms of rushing. Uh, I'm not saying it's going to be a top-five Big Ten rushing attack, but I think it's going to be a threat. I think it's going to be in the top half of the Big Ten. And I, I think that Stephen Carr, I mean, you've seen him plow over guys. I mean, that guy just doesn't stop. So he could definitely I do think be that Indiana's the next incarnation, I believe, if successful. And I think the reason I think this is possible is because Delon McCullough also coached this running back, but the next incarnation yeah. of Jordan Howard. Being able to be yeah, that guy. Because yeah. I remember when they played Michigan in that game in overtime, they didn't throw the ball once. They dialed up plays for Jordan Howard, and he was able to push his way into the end zone every yeah. single time, and just not even just the end zone, but yards until the end zone. Uh, and what's interesting in that game, I remember uh, specifically the one play that wasn't successful, and it was the last play of the uh, of the game. They threw the ball, and it, and it didn't get in the yep. end. Jordan Howard couldn't push it in the end zone. But anyway, that's my Delon McCullough Jordan Howard stance, I guess. Second, and we've talked about this before. Freshman Donovan McCulley sees the field in multiple roles. I think that's very likely. Uh, maybe not necessarily in multiple roles. Because I do remember somebody saying, and I kind of agree with this, that I don't know if they would burn his red shirt just to have him play wide receiver a few plays, or or maybe be uh, I don't know that he'd be a running back, but playing more of a more athletic position than just a quarterback. But I can definitely see special packages being set up for Donovan McCulley in the red zone. Why? Okay, you have. I don't. The reason I don't agree with that take is is because I think he's really athletic. I mean, I understand where you're coming from and where that comment comes from, but you have uh, 
what's his Josh Hoover coming in behind him? Is that did I get his name right? Yeah, the, Josh. Two thousand twenty two. Josh Hoover coming in. You've got Michael Penix there. I'm not saying Donovan McCauley can't be the starting quarterback, but I don't know that a red shirt really benefits him in this situation. I mean, I if I'm Indiana and I'm trying to chase a Big Ten championship, I want to get the talented guys on the field. I want to get That's the ball true. in their hands. Because after, That's, let's just say Penix leaves, and even if, if Penix doesn't leave, uh, there's going to be a significant loss of personnel next season. Donovan right. McCauley or whoever may be a quarterback next year isn't going to inherit – all of this offense that's there right now. Right, right. And so, so I see where I, you're coming from. I I just think that if you have the opportunity, and I'm not saying he's going to be lining up, you know, but if, if you can get him on the field in a couple different packages, uh, look at Seth Green at, at, at uh, Minnesota a few years ago. I mean, that guy, he was only a Wildcat quarterback, and he was unstoppable. I think he scored like eight touchdowns. And he ran the ball. It seemed like twenty times. Like when he was when they were in the red zone, that was Minnesota's offense, and he scored so frequently. So I just think if you have that kind of talent, if you have that kind of ability, uh, why not put it on the field? I, I could be completely wrong on that, but that's just how I perceive it. And based on the way Tom Allen has talked about it, I suspect that he's going to get some sort of opportunity at some point in the year. Yeah, I don't doubt it. And, and like I said, maybe I think he could definitely get opportunities without burning the red shirt because you can play how many games and, and still have four. a red shirt for. Yeah. And obviously, and I know Jack Tuttle, we've talked about this before. Jack Tuttle is the backup, but I almost feel like once we get halfway through the season, if Donovan McCulley is still showing what he's showing right now in practice. McCulley mm-hmm. can step into that backup role, and we may see some of that, yeah. especially if Penix gets hurt. We haven't seen Penix do a full season. Right, exactly, exactly. I mean, we talk about it all the time, but that's a very real thing. So there's that, and then we got a few more to get through before um, before we get into our pickums, our first ever pickums. Uh, your your three other bold, bold predictions. The third one being the Hoosiers are closer to three and three than 6-0 when Ohio State arrives. Now, I don't think you're saying that they're going to be 3-3. Three and three. You're saying they're going to be closer to 3-3. Three and three. My, I suspect that they will be closer to 3-3 three and three when you look at that schedule. Um, Iowa, Cincinnati, Penn State, and then you've got Idaho, Western Kentucky, and Michigan State, is it? Penn State. So, Did you say Penn State? Yeah, I said Penn State. Um, I think they play Michigan State before yes. they play Ohio State, too. Because um, their schedule kind of comes up as, like, tough game, yeah, you're right. you're winnable right. game, tough game. So I don't think Indiana's going to lose all three of those games. But I could see a scenario where they lose two of them. Um, maybe they only lose one. Maybe they only lose to Penn State, and they're in there at 5-1. and one. But there seems to be just a lot of hype that Indiana's going to be 6-0 and heading into that game based on what we saw last year. It's possible. They very well could be 6-0 heading into that game. I just think they're going to drop at least one game, and I think that they'll probably drop a second game at some point. But still, if you're heading into that, that Ohio State game at 4-2, and let's say you lose that at 4-3, and I, I still think that they could finish the year 9-3. and That back half of that schedule is so much lighter than the front half. So even if you start off 4-3. and three, fans understand – because even even like you said, even if they do lose Cincinnati, Iowa, Penn State, whoever it may be, nine and three, if they end up being that with a with a very top heavy beginning of the schedule, nine and three would be stellar. And combine yep. that with a bowl win, you have a ten win season, which is unheard of in Bloomington. Exactly. Exactly. So hopefully fans, I know fans will be excited for basketball regardless of how the football team is doing, but I really hope that fans will stick around uh, through the long haul of the season. We got two more of these, then we got to quickly wrap up uh, because I actually have to take my dog to another appointment. My puppy's got another puppy <laughs> appointment. So we had to do this a little bit early, and I know Dustin's got some things going on as well. Uh, but you said a defensive player earns a major Big Ten award for the first time in history. I don't think that's too far-fetched. I think we could see that out of Micah McFadden, Taiwan Mullen. They're probably the two top candidates for that. I, those were the two guys I had in mind. Jalen Williams is probably another guy who you could throw into that mix. Um, but I, I, I was, I'm, I guess I'm not too shocked. But Indiana has never won a Big Ten defensive lineman, linebacker, defensive back of the year, and has never had the defensive player of the year. And I think 
one of those guys is going to step up and, and somebody's going to win that award. Somebody's going to win a, a defensive position award this year. If I had to put my money on one of those two, I think I'd put my money on Taiwan Mullen. That's just the that's just for some reason where my mind it's, goes is Taiwan Mullen. I I flip back and forth on that because Taiwan Mullen's really good, but there's a lot of really good defensive backs in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Micah McFadden's really good, but there's also a lot of really good linebackers in the Big Ten. So it's it's tough, but I think one of those guys is going to get it done. And then another one, or the last one, three consecutive bowl appearances for the first time since the 1980s. That is crazy to think about. You you wrote, yep. it's incredibly impressive. I think what would have taken this prediction a step further would be Indiana winning their bowl game. Wins. Well, I see, I couldn't go quite. Yeah, this is a this is a lukewarm prediction. It's not really a bold prediction because yeah. I think with the schedule you see, it's easily six wins. But based on what I've seen the last two bowl games, I could not get myself to put you know the proverbial pen to paper there because I saw how they blew the game against Tennessee, and I saw that the disaster that happened in that old Miss game. I blame so it a lot I just stuck with of the Miss game, and I hate being like that or being like this, but I think a lot of that is just the fact that Penix wasn't there. Kane Womack oh, wasn't fully in and on defense because he was prepared to head off to South Alabama. You had a lot of yep. fa- Plus, Jack Tuttle had a soldier in her. Pilder yep. injury. Excuse me. Yep, exactly. Like I, said, yep. I don't want to make up excuses, but I think a lot went into why that game played out the way that it did. And they still had a chance to win, regardless. Right, exactly. So, with that being said, let's get into our very first round of pickups Now... There's five on here, but I think the way that we should track standings, Dustin, is only the only one that's going to count for the record is the Nebraska-Illinois game. Only Big Ten games. All right. But we can go ahead and, and, and when we come back next week, we can still look and see how each of us did with these five games. But the only one that will count toward our record is Nebraska-Illinois. It's kind of like our exhibition pickums. Now, now, are these straight up or are you doing against the spread? Just straight up. Who do you think is going to win? All right, straight up. I'm not. I'm not good with all that against the spread betting stuff. I don't. <laughs> I would screw that up somehow. So we'll go ahead and start. We're saving Nebraska, Illinois for the end, and we'll both say our answers, not just Dustin. So with the first game being UConn at Fresno State. I'm going Fresno State. UConn didn't play last year. It's been two seasons. They're bad anyway. <laughs> Fresno State. I'm taking Fresno State. Former Indiana offensive coordinator Kalen DeBoer. I think he's going to keep doing pretty well out there. Next up, Hawaii at UCLA. Oh, I got to go UCLA on that one. Yeah, I'm going to take the power five on that. Don't know much about Hawaii, but I, I do know that they're usually not good. So I'm going to go ahead and pick UCLA. No. Uh, next up, UTEP at New Mexico State. Oh, boy, this is tough. That the Miners and the Aggies. Group of five programs this is, facing off. This is like the agricultural showdown here. The the Miners and the Aggies. Um <laughs> I'll go UTEP. Okay. I think I think just for the sake of it, I'll go with the other one, New Mexico State. I don't think there's anything wrong All with right. going with the with that one for this one in particular. Next uh, one, yeah. I don't really like the matchup because I believe it's FCS versus FBS, but it's Southern Utah at San Jose State. Yeah, I'll take uh, I'll take the Spartans, San Jose State in that one. They are pretty good a year ago. Yeah, I'm not a fan of picking uh, FCS teams unless that team happens to be North Dakota State playing Kansas. <laughs> right. Yep. <laughs> uh, and that brings us to our final one before we wrap things up. I wish I had like some a little drum roll for our, for our last one. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> like the Christmas vacation. The game we've been talking about all day, Nebraska at Illinois, who comes out victorious? I think it's going to be Illinois in a close one. I think they're going to win, like I said, 24-21, 27-24. I like the experience. I like Brett Bielema. I like that Nebraska doesn't have any film on them. I'm going with Illinois in that week zero game. See, even right now, I'm having a hard time deciding because it truly is a toss-up. I almost want to pick Nebraska solely to have a different answer than you. And I think the way (laughs) we do this in the future, we need to alternate who chooses first so we don't so oh, there's the, uh, yeah, yeah. There you go. Uh, but with this being the first one, it's okay. <sighs> you know what? I'm gonna go with with Scott Frosty, the Snowman, and the Cornhuskers. <laughs> I don't put confidence go. on that pick, but I'm gonna go with it. Oh, I'm not confident in either team. I'm I'm I would stay away from from this 100. percent Yeah, it's gonna be interesting. I'm excited to watch that game this weekend as well as uh, some of these other ones. I'll probably check out Fresno State, see how. Uh, Kalen DeBoer's doing. 
former Indian offensive coordinator. Uh, but other than that, we will see you next week when we uh, when we have the result of Nebraska, Illinois, and we're looking ahead to week one. We got Indiana, Iowa, Ohio State, Minnesota. Tons of fun games to look at for, for week one. So looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on again, John. See you, Dustin. We'll see you next week on This Week in Indiana Football. <laughs>